Greetings listeners and welcome to the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm Neil Shalat. I'll be your host for at least the foreseeable future and I'm delighted to say that I've been joined by a familiar voice in Alex Barker aka the Euro expert. How are you Alex? I'm doing very good Neil. It's, it's glad to be back on a podcast with you. Looking forward to our chat today. Absolutely and I'm also delighted to say that we've also been joined by Varun Vasudevan who'll probably be better known by the devil's dna handle on twitter how are you varun i'm good and it's really nice to be here i have followed both of you for a long time and it's a pleasure talking to you guys absolutely pleasure for us as well so on this episode we will be talking about ange postecoglou and tottenham hotspur we will briefly be discussing ange's career so far his time through australia and then perhaps slightly more uh his time at celtic which of course was his most recent job and basically the one that got him this tottenham job and then more importantly we'll be focusing on how we expect to see him set things up at tottenham we do have some obviously ideas which we can bring forth from his celtic time as well as some observations from his recent friendlies and also additional transfers and rumors and obviously confirmed deals and stuff worth discussing so that's basically the agenda for this episode we'll start with his very briefly his career path to celtic uh, so andrew was of course born in greece but moved to australia with his father quite quite early in his childhood with his with his family rather and he he played at a relatively low level uh, in the lower leagues there uh, as a player and then he got into coaching uh, his first job was again in the lower leagues with south melbourne in 1996 and after that uh, in 2000 he joined the australian national team youth setup spent about 7 years there uh, had a brief spell a very brief spell in greece and again back in the lower leagues But his first major job in club football was in 2009 when he took over Brisbane Roar. Now, uh, this was his sort of arrival on the scene in Australia and this is where he announced himself as the head coach, the manager we know today. Uh so he came in at Brisbane Roar at a very very interesting time when they are in fairly controversial circumstances. He was quite well liked within the squad. but there were some off pitch off field issues with him that led to him being sacked by the club so there was not a lot of happiness both within the squad and outside as well from the fans so he came into sort of a fairly high pressure environment uh and he didn't get off to a good start at all he they the roar had their worst ever season uh in i mean he took over mid season so at the end of it it was their worst ever season but i think even when he taken over he had said that he wanted at least a year before he was judged before his he could properly implement the brand of football that he wanted to and the next year he absolutely did that he got brisbane roar playing in a style that was likened to barcelona by australian fans in media 
and i think celtic fans will understand where they're coming from and they, he he led them to the premiership of the a league which meant a first place finish in the league season as well as the whole championship domain title at the end of the playoffs and in the midst of that they had a 36 match unbeaten run which to this day is a club record and i mean it was a hugely hugely successful spell a uh, successful season rather for him uh, in australia and that is really when people started to take note of him he he led them to back to back championships thereafter uh, and i think after about two and a half years he left to move on to melbourne victory which is sort of a, a bigger slash more successful club in australia had a, had a, about only a year there honestly and after that he was appointed by the australian national team he spent four odd years with them took them to a couple world cups uh asian cup as well he won them the title in 2015 and so after four successful years there on the whole he moved to japan uh, to yokohama f marinos who again at the time of his appointment I mean, it was not quite brisbane road level stuff but they weren't having the best of uh, times and when he came in things did not get off to a good start in fact they were you know even maybe in a bit of a relegation battle mind you this is a club that wants to challenge for titles ultimately finished mid table in his first season even though they scored a lot but they also conceded a lot but then after that uh he absolutely kicked on once again and he dominated the league once again uh to take yokohama fmarinos to their first title in about a decade and a half so on the back of that he was soon uh, snapped up by celtic in 2021 and of course i think everyone knows the rest of the story but let's focus a bit more on his celtic side in terms of how they how they played tactically i think alex was following them along quite closely so i think briefly alex how how would you say they played and how did they dominate the scottish premiership Yes, Ange Postecoglou Celtic were extremely attacking and they scored over 200 league goals across two of his four seasons there. And what I found interesting was that Bayern Munich last season they were the top scorers in Europe, but majority of the players were scoring around 10 league goals. There wasn't like one dominant top scorer. At Celtic there was Kyogo Furuhashi with 27 league goals. And what that shows is that Ange Postecoglou's team really good at getting uh his forwards into high quality chances and creating those high quality chances. It's based off a lot of rotations. So when you watch Arsenal recently, you might see uh Ben White come centrally into midfield. Um another player a midfielder going pulling wide uh to create a passing lane to go forward. It's very clever things to Uh, bypass the opposition, and this is what Celtic uh, specialised in uh, under Ange Postecoglou. And so, Tottenham fans—they've already seen a little bit of it. What they can expect is uh, quite a complex style of play. A lot of players, you know, struggling to get to grips with it. But the end result is uh, dominating possession-based football that can be really effective, especially against lower-quality sides. Yeah and I think it's also worth talking about how they built their squad because of course there was a lot of intrigue 
with his transfers when he came in he brought in a fair few players from Japan from the J League of course players he's familiar with having worked there for a few seasons but i think varun can expand a bit on how he built his side to sort of have cover and have options in all the roles within their you know 433 formation on paper which became a sort of 235 or 2323 in possession yeah so i mean if you look at his tactical template the 433 that's been his staple for a while and when he came in at celtic he didn't really have all the players for it and i think this is important because from a tottenham point of view also we'll get there uh, that problem persists so it took a while and it took almost 24 25 signings across uh, multiple windows for him to end with the side that we now know famously as the ange celtic side so in his last year if you just map out the 433 on paper you have exactly two players for each role and almost no one in the 11 who were present when ange took over were there by the end of his time at celtic it was almost a completely new 11 and he got in players that he wanted and this is one thing i think is important from a tottenham point of view they need to get ange his type of players so for example his two eights they are not normal uh, central midfielders they are very very aggressive players they are almost like two number 10s in possession as you said they become a 235 and as alex said they rotate a lot so there are lots of times they'll be popping up on a wing and let a winger come in or they'll be going to the striker position when the striker runs in the channel so his two eights are almost like half wingers or half attacking midfielders similarly in most other positions he has very very specialized roles the wingers need to be very good wide very good 1v1 still be creative and also have the off the ball movement to come in and score so he does need his players and he has very specific requirements and one of the big reasons he was successful at celtic is because celtic built that team for him and if he is to be a successor at tottenham they'll also have to build that team for him absolutely and i think you made some great points about specific roles there i think one worth adding definitely is also the full back roles which are relatively unconventional ones in the sense that they come in fairly narrow almost into midfield not fully inverting in to form like a double pivot but across the line of three alongside the defensive midfielder they do play quite narrow and i think as you say we will discuss uh that at the moment tottenham do not seem to have the right squad fit for Ange's style but one point i'd like to make of course we've discussed his in possession game the 2-3-2-3 uh possession dominant free scoring side but out of possession as well it's it's worth discussing how things might pan out because i feel like he wasn't fully challenged in the scottish premiership of course it's a league where there's a real duopoly between celtic and rangers and the rest of the sides when facing them know that they are not at the same level so they don't really try to take the game to them so you often see sides going long and you know digging in and defending in very very low blocks so uh, one potential question mark which some analysts have highlighted as well is how his high press might pan out because uh, at celtic it basically was a sort of a 442 or 4312 with one of the central midfielders stepping up alongside the striker uh and depending on how the opposition built out they'd either try to sort of player mark their number 6 their pivot player or have a, line, a flat line of four 
behind the front two. Uh, but th- there were at times some weaknesses. Rangers in particular were able to bypass them in a couple of their old firm games. So I think that is something worth keeping an eye on in the Premier League, where there will obviously be loads more teams who will play out from the back short against a, any press of any description. You know, whether it's sort of the big sides like Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, or even some other teams like Brighton, for example, who could pose a problem uh, to sides that look to press. So that is something to look look forward to. But let's move on now to uh, his how his Tottenham might shape up, and let's first start with uh, the the stylistic fit to the current squad because, as we mentioned, currently their their squad profiles are not really uh, what Ange would like, and I think the main reason for that is because the last manager, Antonio Conte, played an almost exact opposite style to Ange in the sense that all of his roles were totally the opposite. So, how how, how do you see that fit going, Varun? Because, obviously, they're going from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3 with totally different profiles. Yeah. Um, I think one thing is obviously roles and profiles and the other thing is also tactics. Uh, the way Conte played was very different. Um, Conte had a very different idea of how to counter-attack, how to build up in the wide areas, for example. And as a result of it, the profiles he wanted were very different. Uh, for example, he wants bombing wing-backs. And that's the reason now, if you look at the Spurs squad, you probably have four five wide players who are really good wing-backs. But Ange plays with inverted full-backs and proper 1v1 wingers. So, where do these wing-backs go? Do some of them become full-backs? Do some of them become wingers? There's a whole question mark on all of them there. There's no ready-made full-back. Similarly, if you look at the midfield profiles, um, Conte played a lot of the 3-4-3 or 3-4-1-2 at times, or even at times when it was a 3-5-2. But his midfielders are very well-rounded and who could do a bit of everything. He liked those well-rounded, box-to-box kind of midfielders. Um, ball-winning kind of midfielders. With Ange, it's very clear. The number six is your, you know, linchpin, your fulcrum, the deep-lying playmaker. And your number eights are almost like attacking midfielders. So, again, how do you split the Tottenham midfielders into clear sixes and eights? And then in in, in attack as well. A um, lot of your current Tottenham forwards are very narrow attackers who are good centrally, who are good in and around the box as support strikers or finishers in the box Um, because of Conte playing with a front two or even when you played a front three, they would come narrow because the wing-backs would take the width. So he had a lot of narrow attackers. With Ange, two of his attackers have traditionally always been really, really good wide players. Your likes of Abada, Jota, they were very good 1v1 wingers and only one of his attackers, Kyogo, would, you know, act like a striker. So, Stylistically, if you map them both, this is completely two polar opposites in terms of formation, profiles, and there's going to be a lot of work for him, not only to get the players he wants, but obviously some of the existing players, their roles have to change. Their traits, their habits, the way they play, the positions they take up, there will be a lot of work in terms of coaching as well. It's not all just transfers. So, yeah, I think uh, in that sense, the, the job is big. Absolutely, and I think you highlighted some area areas of the pitch very well. But 
one specific aspect I'd like to focus on is the the defensive line because obviously they're going from a back three or a back five to a back four, and he spoke of two wing backs or full backs. But even the centre backs is a big question mark, and I think Alex has been focusing on that in the sense that in their current squad they have centre backs who are fit to play a back three. But now obviously there'll be two centre backs left at the back, and there's big question marks about who those could be. Yes, there are, and Ange Postecoglou has made no secret of the fact that Tottenham really need a, a another centre back in. He's mentioned it in press conferences. I think directly we need another centre back, and the reason is the roster at the moment is Christian Romero, who has only played in the back three throughout his career, uh, but still a good defender. Eric Dyer, who I think most Tottenham fans want to see phased out. Davison Sanchez, the same. Joe Rodon, I think the same. Jaffet Tanganga, the same. So you're only really left with one centre-back. Maybe Ben Davis, if you want to put him there. He played at left centre-back under Conte, but I think you're playing a bit of a risk. This is clearly the biggest problem in the squad. And so far, there's not been any reinforcement in that department. And it's going to be tricky to see if there is no reinforcement. I think that's going to be a problem, not just because of the quality, but it's a slow uh, process to go from a back three to a back four. I think we've seen Chelsea fight this over the past few years of their defenders used to being aggressive out of the back line, having to hone that in and often getting punished for it in games. So definitely a key area to watch in this first team. Yeah, and, and you highlighted some players there. So I think it's worth doing that in other areas of the squad too. Varun mentioned the question marks about the forward profiles. And I think one player who absolutely embodies that is Dejan Kulusevski. He came in, of course, uh, last season. And he was fantastic in a sort of right half space role uh, where he often received the ball between, between opposition lines in central areas and then picked out great forward passes or created chances and everything. But within Ange's system, as a winger, which he technically was, he would be shifted out all the way to the touchline where he isn't as comfortable or as outstanding uh, as he was in, in that half-space role. And of course, the alternative is to play him as an advanced eight, which could be something worth doing, I think, on the right side. Obviously, the question would be, how he might be able to adapt his defensive game to uh, to cope with the defensive responsibilities of that role. But I think in possession, uh, Kulusevsky would most definitely be best off as an advanced eight in that right half space. Uh, maybe let's also discuss uh, some of their other players. I think Warren has some thoughts on how perhaps Son uh, might fit in uh, because he's also one of their key attackers. Uh, but there are again question marks about where he could fit in the squad. Yeah, so Son's an interesting case. I mean, we've always known Son's a very good goal scorer and very good off the ball movement. Um, he's like that inside forward, like Salah, Son, Rashford. You need them in those half spaces with the angled runs into the box. Um, so they're almost like half a striker in that sense. And in, in the preseason friendly, Son started on the left wing. But you really don't want this kind of player to be going towards the touchline. You want them as central as possible. And uh, Son isn't as good 1v1 on the wide uh, touchlines. 
beating his full back uh, you don't want him there you want him somewhere near the box if i had to assign a position to son based on ange's template you know just blank slate if if there was no player he'd probably fit the striker role a lot more um instead of the left wing i don't think he fits the number 8 like your point of kulusevski probably being the right sided 8 i don't think son can be the left sided 8 left finger is okay probably striker is the best fit comparatively but then that brings you to your next problem you already have harry kane there or do you so i mean then there's a big question mark depends really on whether harry kane goes or leaves yeah i think that's worth discussing too i mean obviously at this point it's difficult to say whether he goes or leaves but for from a tottenham and from ange's point of view do you want him to go or do you want him to leave what's what what's the best option because as you say with son um it's he's probably better off in a central role than out wide and of course kane and son probably can't squeeze both of them in a central role in the same side so in that sense is it better if kane moves on um i'm wondering alex do you have any thoughts on that i would say so i think it's then this is a debate going on online at the moment personally i think it's better to lose kane now for a good sum close to 100 million euros um rather than let him go for free next season i mean i think the chances of tottenham winning a trophy under ange postecoglou are quite low in the first season um so i don't think it's worth holding him hostage for another year yeah i think that's that's a fair point and obviously that helps them build forward uh and look for you know potentially replacement striker or try and fit son in there rather than have kane for probably a season and then lose him and then have to work on that anyway but let's also then discuss uh, what they've been up to pre-season uh they have played a few friendlies so far i think varun has been keeping an eye on how they've been progressing so uh let's let's just get your overall uh, observations varun what have you noticed in terms of how ange wants them to play and indeed what players have been used in what roles because obviously that's what we've been discussing so far yeah uh, i caught their first friendly uh, against west ham which they lost 3-2 and it it was uh, the subject of ridicule on social media they were 2-0 down against west ham and eventually they lost but i don't think they played that bad i mean uh, they were they were kind of unlucky to end up on the losing side and the first thing you can immediately notice is if there was any doubt on what ange is going to do with tottenham because there were a lot of rumors will he change his 433 will he try a back five um all those doubts were dispelled he played more or less his standard 433 um obviously there were some variations based on the opposition based on uh, what was happening in the game but largely speaking this is the template we have seen from him for a while and he is trying the same template at tottenham and it was interesting um he he started davies as the left center back so alex was just mentioning uh, he doesn't know where davies goes and there's a center back uh, there's a center back lag there in that squad and uh, davies was the one who ended up starting and ange probably looks at him as a center back more than a full back and they also have a lot of full back options um, regulon started uh, at left back and he was a bit more of the conservative inverted full back he was often forming a back 
uh, with the rest of the defenders or he was slightly coming into midfield like a defensive midfielder on the other side uh, pedro poro started and uh, he's one of the players i would have said is better as a wing back almost like a winger and we saw a lot of that in the game he had a lot more freedom he was uh, hugging the touch line he was bombing up into the right half space in very attacking areas and that helped kulusevski play narrow so both the things uh, you guys mentioned were visible poro was taking the wide areas kulusevski was trying to come in um it was on the left where it was a little odd so manuel solomon played uh, i know alex has scouted him and he'll talk about him soon and you kind of understand why solomon was bought and this left winger striker problem that we were talking about um solomon's like one of the wingers who suits the formation a lot more than someone like say son and there was also another interesting debate on Uh, on social media from both games on Kane's movement and this is something i've actually uh, been saying for a while i'm not super sure um kane is as big a box threat or a poacher or you know someone who stays in the box and feeds on service last year he was one of the best progressors of the ball and chance creators in the premier league and obviously had an amazing season and we know kane is world class but he has this tendency to drop and play in others and spurs really struggled with that the first half when they were losing 2-0 that was happening a lot and in both games actually in both friendlies when richarlison came on and played striker spurs played better so there's also a whole angle of yes they're getting 80 90 100 million for kane kane's 30 31 but does kane even fit the striker role i mean as funny as it sounds he probably enjoys dropping and creating a bit more so even for tactical reasons if they did let go of kane and if they could invest that in um another winger on another eight and convert son and richarlison as the strikers it probably might not be a bad thing so yeah i mean everything we discussed was visible from the friendlies the tactical issues the players who will have problems fitting in the prayers who probably will fit and carry on for for the foreseeable future yeah and i think uh, it's uh, on the whole it's interesting to see the tweaks you mentioned from his usual uh, 4-3-3 setup with you know as you said on the right flank maybe polo overlapping more i think that's one of the good positive qualities of ange that will really help tottenham in this sort of transition phase where he doesn't have the squad he wants to ideally have to play his style he's he's not a manager who's super rigid in you know imposing his style of play no matter what is around him he will make those tweaks to suit what he's got available and we saw that at celtic you know when he came in he didn't immediately start with the 433 that we saw at the end and so that's something that i think will be beneficial to tottenham at the start too obviously i don't think anyone expects them to compete with the best of the teams in england but at least to be at an acceptable level but on the whole this is very much a rebuild job for him as we mentioned the squad is uh, like relative to what he expects a complete mess and he recognizes that i think there's been he's he's talked about this in press conferences where he said that he absolutely recognizes that what he's got in front of him is a rebuild job and that he will he will enjoy it and he will savor it and of course that it will take time so you know we can't really judge how ange has been has done at the end of his first season for example we might have to give him you know 
a couple of seasons to get an idea of how exactly he has fared because it will take time it will take transfer windows and loads of moves before he gets that squad so let's talk about some transfers now of course we are in a window right now and spurs have been doing some business they've also been linked to further moves let's start perhaps with some uh, confirmed moves uh, one of one of the earlier ones was manor solomon who varan quickly mentioned there in his friendly observations i think alex has been taking a look at him so alex what do you think about this move and where do you think he fits in yeah i can see where solomon fits in now having a, a bit of a closer look at him than when he joined um the one thing that solomon really thrives in i mean last season in the premier league he got four goals no assists on the surface not a productive winger but the one area he ranks really high in the premier league is um dribbles uh, is very dribbly player he's quite quick but he's just got great footwork makes a lot of nice small touches of the ball good at evading pressure i think he's really good in like on the touchline and i don't think spurs have a player necessarily like that um i mean solomon is uh i think he's right-footed and plays on the left but he's quite happy to go down the byline whereas i think son is more of an inside forward i think um kolesevsky's an inverted winger uh, comes very far off the touchline. Solomon seems very happy to be in wide spaces, and I think he joins the most active dribbler in the team. Um, so I think it fills a nice profile there uh, and gives uh, Tottenham a bit more versatility in their wide areas. Yeah, and let's also talk about some perhaps more central areas. Uh, one of their big signings in midfield was James Madison. I think that. costliest signing in terms of transfer fee in this window so varun any any thoughts on that move do you think he he's a good good choice for obviously i suppose the advanced aid position that we've been talking about yeah i think i think it's a good buy i mean when lester went down there were a lot of rumors of madison moving and a lot of the top teams wanting him and i didn't really see a great fit for him in many of the other top clubs i I had no idea where he would fit for United, for example. Um, Newcastle and Spurs were probably the most interesting rumors, um, and I think at the end, him moving to Spurs and playing under Ange is probably the best move for him. Um, that number eight role that we were talking about, which are almost like you know half number tens, half wingers, Madison fits that role, you know, quite well. Um, I wasn't a big fan of his usage on the left wing uh, at Leicester and there were sometimes he did play as a number 10 as well um but I think this left sided left half space role coming in from midfield it really suits him he has very good progression numbers he's not um positionally absent and gungo attacking he he does have a good sense of coming back to midfield and defending Leicester had to do a lot of that so I think he's a really good fit for the left-sided eight role. He can swap with the winger when when required. He can go in and just get right next to the striker like a front two when required. He can drop deep to those left center midfield areas and support the defensive midfielder, pick the ball from there and then carry um when required. So it's it's like a very very um, multi-dimensional role and I think James Madison has all the dimensions. So 
I think their left-sided eight role is locked with him for the foreseeable future. That's also very played in the friendly, and he did look sharp. He did look nice. So I think he's he's going to be um, playing there for a long time. Yeah, good move then. But let's now go on to talk about an area of the squad which might be a little bit more concerning for Tottenham fans, which is of course their defense. I think Alex spoke a fair bit about it, but they have been uh, linked with a couple of centre backs. They desperately need them. So, what do you what do you think about those rumours, Alex? Yeah, let's talk about Edmond Tapsoba first. I think he's the best option. Spurs could get the twenty four year old um, player from Bayer Leverkusen, coming from Burkina Faso. Last season, um, he played down the centre of a back three, but because of the way Leverkusen play, that sees Jeremy Fringpong. Uh, Push down the right-hand side really far from right wing back to right winger. Tapsoba would shift across as the defence came more of a back four. He's also playing the back four leg Leverkusen anyway, so would easily fit into Tottenham's team. He specialises more in passing, I'd say. He's more of a stand-up sort of defender. Doesn't push too wide. Uh, doesn't carry the ball so much, but just good vision and good passing, I think, particularly on the ground as well. And I also think a, a strong defender, he wins over 60% of his 1v1 situations, according to um, Sofa score, and uh, just under 60% for aerial duels, so that's all fine. The other defender that um, has types over is right-footed. For the left side, Tottenham reported to be looking at 22-year-old Mickey van der Ven, but struggling to get a deal done. Uh, as I said, he's left-footed, um, played on a back two last season at Wolfsburg, year before at Voldenheim, I think it was that. Uh, he plays as a left centre back, and he's, you know, he'd be a nice foil to Edmund Tapsober. Mickey van der Ven isn't as strong a passer, but he's an amazing ball carrier, absolutely no fear, and he's a really tall man. He's six foot four, he can just, and he's so quick as well. So once he gets going with the ball, he's really hard to stop, I think. And the biggest compliment I can play him, um, I was talking about him recently with a couple of Tottenham fans is that I watched Leverkusen fairly closely last season and the Nico Kovac, match. And a lot of the time, um, you don't realise Mickey van der Ven's there in a good way. Like, he's not making a mistake. Um, he's, like, defensively, he's just... He, he passes by and he, he gets stuff. He, he, he's quite convincing, I think, is the right way to put it, uh, especially for his age as well. And to counter that, stats say he has committed two penalties... Um, and two errors led to a shot, none to a goal. Uh, but I honestly, I really like Van der Ven. But if I was going between the two of them, if you were to ask me that question, Neil, I would be still saying taps over. And I think that's a good answer as well for a Tottenham fan point of view, because certainly right now, reports saying that a deal for Van der Ven is looking unlikely. Negoci- negotiations sorry, with Wolfsburg are not exactly progressing. So, Unless they go in again with a new offer, of course, anything can happen in the transfer window. But at the moment, it's not looking too likely. But let's talk about finally their last uh, signing, which is goalkeeper uh, Guglielmo Vicario. It's an interesting one. Paid 20 million euros for him from Empoli. What are your thoughts uh, on that, Varun? Personally, I do think Spurs could have done better. Uh, They were chasing David Raya for a while and I think Raya is quite good. Um, Raya would have solved a lot of their issues. And what are their issues? I mean, with Hugo Lloris, one big thing was the playing out from the back. 
I mean, um, we've spoken about the kind of football Ange has. And building out from the back is one very, very big uh, need for him. And Loris was just not good at it for a while now. I mean, even under Conte, I felt uh, they could have upgraded on Loris a, a while ago. It was a bit of a mini Digia session uh, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's been a problem for them. They needed a goal, good goalkeeper. I think they could have done better than Vicario. I'm not saying Vicario is bad. Vicario has some really good underlying numbers. He is definitely a good distributor. Um, his passing and his ability in build-up is great. He probably isn't um, a super high potential player though. I think someone like Raya or Diogo Costa or even maybe uh, Dean Henderson or um, Mamash Tivili from Valencia. You know, these kind of players would have suited uh, Tottenham more. I think Vicario will do okay. Um, but I won't be super surprised if a good deal comes along and if they have to upgrade they might in the future. But I think for now, they've at least uh, solved the Loris issue at a minimum cost for a while. Right. I think that's a sensible move then. Of course, as we've discussed, there's others, other areas of the squad that do need improvement. I think most notably is the fullback department, but we aren't really seeing any rumours there. So you'd imagine they won't be focusing on that this window and possibly take a look at it later. So I think that really sums it up. Uh, in terms of your expectations for Tottenham and Ange this season, they don't have a complete squad, not not remotely. So you can't really expect them to perform at the highest level or anywhere near the highest potential that Ange can take them to. So I think to conclude, let's just get our season predictions in for Tottenham. Of course, they don't have Europe to worry about. Um, uh, first time in... I think a decade and a half that they won't be in any European competition at all. So it's just domestic stuff. Uh, of course, they have a couple of cups, but mainly we'll focus on the league. So just very quickly, guys, uh, where do you think they'll finish in the league? Let's start with you, Alex. What position would you give them? Uh, I'll go short and sweet. I think they'll go sixth. And I think Tottenham fans will be happy about that. You're right. The squad isn't in the best shape, but I think the vibes around the fans are good. I think they've got patience. I think everyone by the end of the season will be well behind Ange. Fair enough. What do you think, Warren? I don't think they'll get into the top six. Um, seventh or eighth is my prediction. I just think they finished eighth last year and I think they're going to finish somewhere similar or maybe slight improvement. I think gameplay improvements, signing, settling in, Ange uh, imprinting his style, those should be the things fans should look forward to, not the points tally. Yeah, I absolutely agree as well. I'd, I'd go 7th and completely agree with the points you made that this season certainly the focus should be beyond results and more on performances and how players fit in. And it is going to take a while. You know, first season, as we've seen with his previous teams, uh, you can't expect an hand side, especially with such a squad, to turn things around so quickly. You can't expect anyone to turn things around so quickly. So I think that's, that's about all we've got for this episode. Uh, we've covered most of uh, Andrew's uh, you know, recent career and mainly how his Tottenham might shape up. So it's definitely going to be very interesting to see how they get along as the season starts in just a couple of weeks. So we're already almost there. Uh, and and yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's a lot for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. A big thanks to Alex and Varun for joining us. Uh, quickly just mention all of our Twitter handles in case you want to find us. Uh, you can find Alex uh, at Euro Expert 
uh, underscore on Twitter. You can find Varun uh, with the, the Devil's DNA account, which he runs, which is at the Devil's DNA. Just spelling it out. And you can find me uh, at Shailat Neel. And of course, we'll have our Get Football accounts uh, linked below the uh, in, in, in the description, in the notes of this podcast. And of course, please do keep a lookout as well on our outlets for all our other podcasts and articles across the world of European and indeed football all over the world where we'll be covering uh, the seasons as they get underway. Uh, which, uh, we'll be covering some of the transfer rumors as well as the window you know, draws to a close with about a month to go. So do follow us on, on all our socials as well. And you can find a link to all of those again in the notes or the description of this episode. And if you can, then please do rate the the podcast as well. If you can give us a five-star review, that would be massively helpful to us. And of course, feel free to share it or, or comment on, on our links on our social media handles as well. But thank you very much for listening. A big thanks to you, Alex, and to you, Varun. And we'll be back again next week with another episode on another uh, topic of interest. But until then, take care. Goodbye.